I'm Nicole Gibson, and I am the mom of four beautiful children, Hunter, Savannah, Brooklyn, and Reese. Travis and I were married for 15 years, um, so 2011, uh, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, stage four, um, and he was able to undergo um, chemotherapy at the University of Maryland. When we went back, um, we found out that there was no sign of cancer. They ended up allowing him to do um, radiation, which is where his radiologist uh, nicknamed him Superman because um, he wasn't getting burned on the surface at all. And then in uh, September of 2012, I woke up in the middle of the night having a seizure. I uh, was diagnosed with a level four GBM brain tumor um, in my left frontal lobe. After about a year, um, everything had been going well with both of us for um, health issues and pretty much life in general. And then um, Travis started coughing a lot, having a lot of trouble swallowing. So we took him to the doctors and they pretty quickly found out that the cancer had come back. So Travis uh, was scheduled in August of 2013 to have an esophagastrectomy, but because of a lot of complications, he ended up being there for more than two months. So he went back and forth um, to different hospitals uh, several times before he passed away on February 12th of 2014 at 38 years old. After Travis passed away, um, the money that he left had to be used, um, and the only way that it was able to be used was by purchasing a home. So we found a home, and it had a fireplace and a nice yard, but the inside needed quite a bit of work. When I first became aware of uh, Nicole's purchase of this house, uh, my real estate instincts kicked in. So um, I came over and took a look at uh, both the exterior and interior. And what we found is a lot of ne negative grading outside the house, which resulted in a pretty damp, uh, wet basement. Um, the other thing, quite obviously, is that Nicole has four children, a son and three daughters, and there were three bedrooms and one and a half baths, uh, which makes for pretty tight, uncomfortable living. The Lord just led me to uh, approach Chris Noyes and asked one Sunday morning if he would consider praying about taking charge of a construction project uh, for finishing off the basement and providing them with another bedroom and another bath. He said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. I'm in, all in. But I sent about a dozen letters out to folks that I knew would be interested in helping. Within two weeks, I had both pledges and cash in hand to fund the whole project. So we, we pulled the trigger. And um, first work day, we had people upstairs uh, and downstairs. Upstairs, they were painting and changing out closet doors. And uh, just, it was just a wonderful thing to see the, the body of Christ uh, joyfully working uh, in the house. It was remarkable to me uh, how many people would approach me and ask how they could help. Um, they were, our grace people were giving their time, their talent, and their treasure 
to help this family. I can remember one Sunday coming out of church and was approached by a member and, and he said, Jim, uh, how are you doing on the uh, funding on Nicole's basement? And I said, well, we're, we're getting close to the end. And um, he said, well, just let me, let me tell you, if you come up short for any amount, you let me know, I'll cover it. So I'm just um, walking to my car and praising God for the generosity um, that this body of believers was showing. Really, grace, my family, my friends, people that I don't know and probably never will have just lifted my family in our grief. Bringing meals and picking up kids and seeing God's hands and feet at work more than I would ever have imagined that anyone would do. I don't know why, <laughs> but I'm very grateful for it, very grateful. So I've said to my children many times that we should have been on extreme home makeovers because that's the way our house feels. Um, it definitely started out a 1977 home, um, but it's been completely renovated on the top floor and brought into 2016. God continues to show us, continues to show me that he can and he will use his people inside and outside of grace to take care of our family. I thank each of you for making my kids and I feel at home here at Grace and turning our house into a new home. We still grieve, cry, laugh, and live, but I'm claiming faith, trust, and hope in 2016. I believe that is what the great Jehovah Rapha has in store. his voice <laughs> and we try to follow him so um, Jim who is our pastor of administration here had a deep desire in his heart to help Nicole and her family so he posed the question to Rob the other joyful noise uh, uh, Chris noise and Chris uh, gladly volunteered Chris actually became the general contractor of the project, mobilizing the body to use their time and talents and treasure, and the project was completed. 
So on this Sunday, we wanted to give the highest praise to God for supplying us with the desire and then the team to make all this happen. I love the fact that Hunter has a man cave downstairs, that uh, they have a couch they can snuggle on and watch movies, and the basement is dry and cozy and beautiful. And my prayer, and this is more the personal side for me, when uh, Travis was alive, he was a great encouragement to me. We um, had a very dear friendship, and I was suffering myself, and he came to my home and encouraged me, brought some food over. Always a man of hope. And his cancer couldn't take away his hope and couldn't take away his joy and couldn't take away his peace. He always was an encouragement to me. And so um, I had this shower, and the shower was leaking, and Travis had these abilities to fix things in the house. So he came over to the house, and he, um, he fixed my shower. It was leaking, and he fixed my shower. And this was his last words to me. He said, you know, Pastor R, this is just a Band-Aid. It's not going to last forever, but I'm going to do the best I can to kind of patch it up for you. And this morning, I took a shower in that very same shower, and it's still not leaking. So when I think about Travis, I think about the imprint he left upon our lives. He really was a man after God's own heart. He had a hope in this life, and now his hope has been realized. He's in the presence of Jesus. So we're filled with thanksgiving today, really. We're filled with thanksgiving for the privilege of being involved in this project. And I thank God for each one of you who's been part. Um, If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14 as we talk about this journey toward generosity. Matthew um, records the parable of the talents. And the talent, the parable goes like this. There was a man about to go on a journey, not a short journey, but a long journey. You know how it is when you begin to go on a journey, you pack up the bags, and you're going to be gone for a while. Well, the wealthy, generous man in the story is God, and the man going on the journey is Jesus. Just as it's true that Jesus went on a journey, so we also are on this journey called generosity. Uh, One of the first steps in the journey for us was to take these blessing bags, these blessing bags, out into the community And pray over who it is we would bless. And I've heard just some of the stories coming back about finding people with plastic bags for their socks. And opening up the blessing bag and finding a nice pair of white socks inside. I've heard a story about stopping at the stoplight. And there was a homeless person and presenting to them the blessing bag. Saying, we've been blessed, we just want to bless you. And I've heard about recovery meetings, people taking, you know, several blessing bags to them with the, to the recovery meetings and blessing somebody. So I've got one blessing bag here, and I've got another one where I am. Anybody interested in blessing somebody? Want to be a blessing? Just see me afterward. I'll pass on a blessing bag to you. Well, in the story, the wealthy, generous man calls his servants, that's us, and entrusts, that's us again, possessions, to them saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to entrust to you my possessions. I'm going away very soon. I'm traveling to a faraway country, but before I go, I want to give you something. I'm going to entrust to you my possessions. I want you to take these talents 
and do something good with them. The talents are yours, right? You have freedom to use them as you wish. Just put them to work. So the servants go out with their talents, and they begin to see opportunities. They roll up their sleeves, and they get busy using the talents that um, God had given. So the story of Nicole's house, to me, is a story about talents being used for God. The story begins with a vision. God enables us with our eyes to see what he wants us to do. Then the people enter into agreement with the vision, right? And then we see this preferred future of what could be. And then the people begin to use their talents to bless somebody. Now, these people who volunteered are people with businesses and careers and marriages and children. So they carved out of their schedule time. Now, the most precious thing, in my opinion, we give in our culture is when we give somebody our time. These individuals were giving their time out of their weekends, out of their um, evenings, and they took their talents. They took their waterproofing talents, and they took their plumbing talents, and they took their drywalling talents, and they took their creative imaginative talents, their leadership and administrative gifts and construction talents, and they put them all to work. So in the biblical story, the generous man gave his servants one five, one two, and one, one talent, each according to their ability. And the big thing is to be useful to the master. God, how do you want to use me with the talents and time and treasure you've entrusted to me? To realize that we're not here on this earth for ourselves, We're here to give glory to God and be of the benefit to others. We're here to make God famous and to put his talents to work. Then the wealthy, generous man comes back. And this is a reference to the second coming. Now, the question he'll ask then, I'll just go ahead and pop it to you now. What he asked the servants was, what did you do with what I gave to you? What did you do with the talents and the treasure and the time I entrusted to you. And the first servant and the second servant both said, I took the talents you gave, and I put them to work, and I gained you. You know, I doubled what was yours. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with just a few things. I'll entrust you more things. Enter into the joy of your master. The master said, well done. You did something good with the talent. You didn't neglect the poor. You blessed the widow, her children. You made provision. So if I could just be to you the voice of God, this is what I believe God would say. Well done, church. You've been faithful with a very little thing. You saw the opportunity You stepped in, you rolled up your sleeves, you made all this happen, you made provision for this good work. Well done. You have given me great joy. You make me smile when I think about you. Give me great pleasure. So a huge step when it comes to generosity is to realize that what I have received, my time, my talents, my treasure, are not my own. And the generous 
wealthy man gave to his servants, that's us, talents and time and treasure to steward them that we could give for him a good return. This story, believe it or not, correlates with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, which we were talking about last week. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, wherein Paul gives a spiritual principle that's worthy of us knowing. This is what he says. Remember this. Don't forget this, right? Mark this down. Hold on to this truth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's true that we reap what we sow. If we sow just a little, we're going to reap just a little. But if we sow a lot, we're going to reap a lot. He's describing a situation in an agrarian culture where there's been a tremendous harvest, and there's two farmers, and both farmers have received a great harvest. That could represent all we received from the Lord. They planted their seed in the spring, they watered the seed, and the harvest came in the fall. Now in their barns is a great pile of seed, and there's two possibilities the farmers can take with the seed. The first possibility is they can take their seed and they can um, grind it into flour, and with the flour they can make bread. The second possibility is they can take the seed and plant it in the spring unto the next harvest. So the far- farmers have a decision to make, just like you have a decision to make, of how much shall I keep and how much shall I give? How much do I want to take for myself, and how much do I want to sow into the harvest? So let's say the first farmer is pretty cautious, and he says the winter is coming. The winter will be long. The winter will be difficult and cold. So he takes a large proportion of the harvest, and he takes his grain and mills it into flour and makes it into bread. With the oats, he makes oat bread. With the barley, he makes barley bread. With the wheat, he makes wheat bread. So he has more than enough bread to take care of himself. But when it is spring, the pile of seed has diminished. He doesn't have very much to sow. The harvest will be smaller. But the second farmer says not only is the winter coming, but the spring and the summer are coming. Doesn't that make you happy? The spring is coming. It's not going to be long now. The birds will be chirping. It'll be warmer outside. So he says, since spring is coming, he'll take sufficient seed for his family. He doesn't deprive himself, his family, of provision. But he saves some of that seed, and he puts it into the harvest. So the question of how much shall I keep and how much shall I give, this is what I want you to keep in mind as you wrestle with the question. That which I spend on myself is gone. But that which I sow into the harvest lives on 
forever and ever. You see, that which I spend on me will soon be gone. But that which I sow is remembered forever and ever. So this is the true principle of life. No matter where in life you are right now, if you sow sparingly, you'll also reap sparingly. If you have income and you blow through the money, having no idea where it's going, not saving up very much and piling on debt, when it comes time to sow, you will only be able to sow sparingly because you spent disproportionate on yourself. But on the other hand, if we sow generously, we shall reap a generous harvest. So God's plan for finances goes something like this. God is the giver, and God gives to us talents and abilities. And we put those talents and abilities to work, and we earn income. And with the income, we get a chance to decide whether we're going to keep for ourselves, spend on ourselves, or be able to sow. So God intends for us to, first of all, give him the first portion, and then save up for things like emergencies, for retirement, for college education, and then live on the rest. What God wants us to do is to live beneath our means in order to provide seed for the harvest. Then he says in verse 7, each person should decide what they've decided in their heart to give. Not because you're pressured by somebody to give. Not because you feel some level of obligation. Not to give with sorrow or sadness, but to give joyfully and to give gladly, you see. So God supplies to us what we need to live on, but God supplies more than we need so we can be generous. God's desire for us is to be generous. And spiritual harvest happens when people rediscover the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it is the gospel we sow into children's lives that they have a spiritual foundation on which to build their life. It is the gospel we sow into students' lives that they might find their true identity and their purpose. It's the gospel we live out in the workplace that we live our life with integrity. It's the gospel we sow into our groups that people can mature in their faith. You see, my life has been changed by the gospel. Somebody sowed the gospel into me. Somebody sowed some seed into me. And that seed took root. And that seed has produced fruit. And somebody has sowed seed into you. So the seed that's sown into you can take root and bear fruit. God intends for us to be very fruitful. And that fruitfulness is a way of generosity. The way of Jesus is a way of being generous. But just in case we get scared, right? Now, this is what happens when we begin to give. We begin to get scared. And we say, if I give something, I will have less, right? Don't we say that? Okay. You with me? So let's say I have 10 apples, right? And I give one of my apples away. 
it seems as if I have less, right? Because I had 10 and I've given one. Now I have. Okay. So let's say I have 10 apples and I give five of them away. Now how many apples will I have left? Very good. It would seem to me, seem to you, that if I am a giver, I have less. But what Jesus is saying to us is, now what requires to see the supernatural, to see this, right? In the natural, it seems as if I have less. The reality is, if I give, I actually have more. Jesus said, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, flowing over. You see, when a person gives, God enters the picture and begins to give back to them in ways they couldn't imagine. Look at the scripture in verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that in all things at all times, having all that you need, Do you have all that you need? Has God provided all you need? Are you content with what God has given to you? Do you believe as if it is sufficient? Not only is God a provider of what we need, God is able to enable us to be generous to meet someone else's need. You see, it's saying that God gives us the grace we need, sufficient grace, to be saved. But God gives us grace sufficient with which to be generous to somebody else. Look at verse 9. It says, He scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. He saw the neediness of the poor, the generous person, the righteous person, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Whoa. Let's try to unpack that. So in the very beginning, the earth was barren, right? And God created the sun. And then he caused vegetation. And the vegetation sprouted, right? Filling the earth. And when God made things to grow, he he made things like a tomato plant. Now, the tomato plant was made by God, but it was made with a capacity to reproduce. Inside of the tomato was seed. The seed could be eaten with the tomato, or the seed could be planted in the ground for the next crop. Or God made the apple, right? God made the apple in the apple tree. But he also made the apple with the capacity to be planted in the ground, the seed, in order to produce the next generation of apple trees. What I'm trying to say is that God put within us this exponential potential to reproduce our lives. So we are disciples here upon this earth who are called to make disciples, right? So God has the ability to give us seed enough to eat and seed enough to sow. And when we sow the seed generously, we are promised a generous harvest. Look at verse 11. And, he, and you've been made rich in every way so that you can be generous 
on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you are performing is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but overflowing in many expressions of thanks be to God. That when we are generous, somebody, sometime, their needs are going to be met, and they're going to give thanks to God because somebody saw their need, and praise is going to come to God on behalf of that generosity. So I'd like you to take that little form out of your bulletin now. It's, it's um, a half sheet of paper. And it has some questions we'd like to ask you. The first one is, and if you need one, you can raise your hand. We also have pens for you. I'd like you to just begin filling it out now, okay? How have your feelings changed about your level of generosity in relationship to your time and your talent and your treasure? If you were involved in the Gibson Project, how has your life changed by being part of that? How do you feel about being a part of a church that does things like that? For myself, I believe that what's happened to me is that I have moved from giving as a level of obligation and duty to giving more freely and joyfully and liberally. God's plan for us is to be liberal with our generosity. Then we move down to the second questions. What do you plan to do about it? We'd like you to check any of those that apply. I plan to serve the body at Grace Community Church. You know, our talents are God's gifts to us, but our service we render is our gift to God. And we perform that service with the strength that God gives. You see, your talent that you have, musical abilities, athletic abilities, organizational abilities, these are God's gift to you. But your service is your gift back to God and the body. So many of you have been telling me that you'd like to get involved with the church. And our plan is to get you out of the stance, learning to play the position, valuing each member of the team, and moving the ball down the field. So you can be saying this morning, you know, I really want to get involved. I really want to become part here. I really want to serve. I realize God's given me talents, and I want to use them for God's glory. I want to supply somebody's need. That young man, Will, we heard about in the video, he's committed now to full-time ministry because somebody invested in him, which is awesome. Secondly, I plan to serve the community. You know, God has given me a heart for this community. I see needs in this community. And our first step into that was to take these blessing bags and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We're going to be stepping into service to our community. And what I saw happen in the storm was people were checking in on the elderly. People were shoveling each other's driveways. People were driving people around with their four-wheel drives. People were opening up their homes. Our first step was the blessing bags. But we're going, to be, we're going to be partnering with Habitat for Humanity. We're going to be stepping into our schools and looking for opportunities in our community to serve. And you can be part of that. The third box has to do with, I plan to give to the church. 
It is no small thing when a person begins to give. Because when we give, we understand something of the grace of God. That God has given me what I don't deserve. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, having all power, position, possessions, he stepped into humanity, he stepped into poverty. He didn't have a place to celebrate the Last Supper. He borrowed a place. He didn't have a cross on which to be crucified. He borrowed a cross. He didn't have a tomb in which to be laid. He had a borrowed tomb. Jesus embodied poverty. He identified with the poor. He became poor that we might become spiritually rich. So when we begin to give, we understand that our giving is motivated by the grace of God, that God has been good to me, and I want to give generously back. I plan to give to increase my giving to the church. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if those who are giving zero began to give a little, and those who are giving, say, 1% began giving more, and those who were giving 5% were able to give 10%. And those who are giving 10% saw no cap to their giving, that God has been so good to me, I just want to share that generosity. I just know that for you, giving may be a huge step of faith. So many of you live at the survival level, but you want to step into consistent giving. I plan to increase my giving to the church What will this do? When there's sufficient resources here, we won't have problems meeting the salary obligations we have made to the staff. Secondly, we won't have to wait to make purchases pertaining to ministry. And third, we'll be able to increase the outflow to this community and beyond. How about this one? I plan to set up recurring giving through pushpay. Did you know that in the most recent snowstorm, when we couldn't gather, there was no physical offerings given, right? But there was $13,000 given through Pushpay on that Sunday. And last week, 50% of what was given was given through Pushpay. Now, we know that many of you don't carry cash. Guys like Pastor Scott never have cash. It's a big deal when Scott has 20 bucks on him. So we know that you don't carry cash, and some of you haven't written a check for 20 years. So we try to make it easy for you to become a regular recurring giver. So we want you to check out PushPay, and it'd be awesome to see as many of you as can become involved with PushPay. Next, I plan to attend the financial workshop. Good news for you. In just a little while, 12 o'clock, we're going to break, reset the room, serve up some pizza about 1230, One o'clock, we're going to have a financial workshop. Now, you've been saying, I need to get my financial world in order. My financial world is crazy. There's some tools to use to kind of come to a budget. You can bring your bills and talk about, you know, where the money's going. And you've got some people who are very financially wise. Rebecca and Walt Hepker are going to help you with creating a budget. So even if you haven't signed up for it, you can come today at 1 o'clock to the financial workshop. There's one today, and then there's one next Sunday. Next, I plan to teach my kids about finances. 
this is a beautiful desire that a parent has or a grandparent has to teach their children it's not only all about me, right? I no longer buy into the consumption assumption that if it comes to me, it's meant for me, right? It's not about me spending me, my money on me. It's learning how to honor God, giving him the first. It's learning how to set some aside to save it and then to live on the rest. Or I plan to be generous with my time, my talent, and my treasure. How would you answer that question? How do you want to be generous with your time and your talent and your treasure? Would you pray with me? Father, here we are on Sunday morning talking about living generously. And I just want to thank you, God, for all that you've done throughout the preceding weeks. We thank you, Lord, for willing volunteers who tackled the project and made it happen. Thank you for all the changes that transpired in their own hearts as they learned to be generous. And God, your intention for each person in this room with what you've entrusted unto them is to be generous, generous with their homes, generous with their possessions, generous with their time, generous with their talents, generous with their treasure. Father, would you allow us as a church to see this community with your eyes? Would you allow us to see our giving with supernatural eyes? Could we see it as sowing into a harvest? as planting a seed? Would you be pleased, Lord, to give a great spiritual harvest to this community? Would you use this, Father, as your hands and feet to take the gospel to the streets, to the neighborhood, to the workplace, to our families, in ever-increasing measure? Father, would you take these gifts now and use them for your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So all around you are some baskets, and we'd like everybody to come. We'd like you to bring forth your sheet. It's also an offering time, so you've come with the offering. You can make it there. You can come as an individual. You can come as a family. But it's a beautiful thing when God's people step into generosity. May God bless you as you live your life generously. And would you stand as we sing our last song? We're going to lay me down.